Good morning, everybody. As uh, Pastor Jeremy said, I am Mark Walker, the senior pastor of both our Marietta and Canton campuses. For those that I've not had the opportunity of meeting, uh, I am, I'm glad to be with you. I'm always glad to be able to come out here. I get out here about once a month or so and to see what God is doing and what's going on. If you happen to have a Bible, either old school Bible, it's in leather or some kind of paper, or you got the new school Bible, it's on some type of electronic device, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. As you just heard in the video, we've been talking about the Storytellers series, looking at faith stories out of Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't happen to have a Bible, the scriptures we're going to look at this morning will be on the screen. We'll be looking at chapter 11, beginning around verse 33 or so, but we'll jump into that in just a moment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we open up our hearts to His Word. Father, we thank You for Your presence. Literally, we sense and feel and know Your presence here today. God, I pray all that we say and do from this moment forward would continue to acknowledge your presence, continue to know that presence and sense it, respond to it, God. And Lord, I ask now that you would enable me to share what you want shared from your truths as we look at this idea of faith in you. I pray for those who have the weakest faith here today and those that have the strongest faith and everywhere in between. That all of us, when we walk out of this place, would be moving deeper in our faith in you. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Several years ago, a Florida newspaper carried a story about a man who was working on his motorcycle on the patio of his home. And he revved the engine. And when he did, it accidentally kicked into gear. And it smashed through the sliding glass, sliding glass door into their den and it dragged him with it. His wife heard the crash, came into the room, saw her husband laying on the floor, the motorcycle on top of him, covered in glass, cut and bleeding. And so she immediately called 911. They sent out an ambulance crew and they lived up on a huge hill. So she had to go down several flights of stairs to greet the ambulance. They get the crew up there, they get the husband, and they take him to treat him. While he's being treated, the wife cleans up the mess, and there was quite a bit of gasoline on the den floor from the motorcycle, so she cleaned it up and wiped up the excess with paper towels. Well, she took the paper towels and threw them in the toilet. Her husband came back after being treated. He sees the broken sliding glass door. He sees the damage to his motorcycle. He gets despondent, and he goes into the bathroom to smoke a cigarette. While he's in the bathroom, he sits down and is smoking his cigarette. He gets finished and throws the cigarette into the toilet. The wife hears the explosion. She hears her husband screaming. She runs in there to see that her husband has been blown up. He has, his pants have been completely blown off of him. He's burnt on the back of his legs, his backside and up his back. She calls 911. They send out the same ambulance crew. They come up, get to her husband, place him on a stretcher. As they start him down the stairs, the crew asks the wife what happened to him. When she explains it, they got to laughing so hard, they dumped the man out of the stretcher. He rolled down the stairs and broke his ankle at the bottom. True story. Now, some of you are laughing, some of you want to laugh, but you're not sure if it's appropriate or not. <laughs> what is it about pain that makes us laugh? Especially other people's pain that calls us to chuckle. If, if I'd have come up these stairs this morning and tripped up, some of you would have had to hold back your laughter out of respect. You might have had to leave the room. You would have been laughing 
so hard. My wife laughs at my pain. When I'm in pain, I can't go to her for sympathy because she's laughing too hard. I don't know what it is about pain that makes us laugh. But there is something about pain I can tell you about. It's universal. My wife and I have had the opportunity of going to South Africa on several occasions to visit some of the pastors and the churches we have helped to build with these missionary pastors. This is one of the churches that we have sent missionary teams out to to help build. Several years ago when we were there, we met the pastor of this particular church. His name is Pastor Paschal. I think you know which one he is. He's right there in the middle. You see my wife and I on one end. On the other end, that's Kirk and Laura Walters who used to be pastors with us on staff. Now they pastor in Birmingham, Alabama. But when we met Pastor Paschal, and he found out I was the senior pastor of the pastor that had sent different teams to help build that particular church. He got so excited. He was so grateful. He couldn't stop thanking us enough. And he just had this huge smile on his face and talking about the vision that they had and what God was going to do in that church and what God was doing. And man, his excitement was off the chart. And in the course of our conversation, I asked him about his family. And as soon as I did, the smile on his face left. His countenance changed. He became very somber. And he shared with me that just a few months prior to us coming to visit him, they found one of his sons dead, murdered in his apartment. And one month later, his other son was killed in an automobile accident. Pastor Paschal performed both of their funeral services. And you could see the tears in his eyes. And you could see the lump in his throat. And you could hear the pain and the quiver in his voice. And it hit me right there standing in that, one, that single room church. That you couldn't have two more different people than Pastor Paschal and me. He's South African, I'm American. He's black, I'm white. He's short, I'm tall. He speaks South African, I speak American. Compared to my way of life, he is very impoverished. Compared to his way of life, I am very, very rich. We live on opposite sides of the world. But there was one thing that connected us within a matter of moments and cut through all the culture, uh, background, and differences. And that was pain. I could connect to this man's pain. And everybody in this room is connected by pain. We all know about the pain of life. We've all felt it. And the question we have here today is... Followers of Christ in the room. How do we deal with faith in pain? How how do we walk with God when we're walking through times of pain? That brings us to Hebrews chapter 11 and the writer of Hebrews. As he has told us so many faith stories about so many folks in the Old Testament. And he comes at one point in time towards the latter part of this chapter. Where he begins just to list several people in a row without saying a whole much about them. Just saying their names. And then in verse 33, he begins to describe their faith. And let's look there together, please. Verse 33, it says, Who, referring to these folks he's just listed, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies, Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Now, now these are great faith stories. These are the stories we like to hear. We love to hear these, these happy ending stories. I mean, when we really talk about overcoming faith, this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. This kind of miracle stuff. These are the kind of movies we go see. Where the hero gets the girl, where they ride off into the sunset together, where the underdog wins. 
I mean, these are the books we like to read. I mean, and we celebrate these types of amazing things that happen by faith as well we should. But then the writer of Hebrews does something to us. He shifts gears right in the middle of this. And in the middle of verse 35, he begins to say this. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Those aren't the endings we like. Those aren't the stories we want to read. Those aren't the movies we want to go see where the hero doesn't get the girl and the good guys don't win. Those aren't the types of stories we associate with faith. But then look what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Listen to what he said. The ones that got the miracles, they're commended for their faith, but so are those that didn't get the miracles and had to walk through the faith, had walked through the pain. Equal faith. Ones that got miracles and ones that had to maintain through the pain and didn't get miracles. Equal commended for their faith. So what is this faith in pain? What is it when we don't get the miracle from God that we were looking for and we have to maintain through the pain? What kind of a faith does that look like? Well, I want to make three observations of this faith in pain, if you will, that we see here in this particular story. The first observation I want to make with you is this, that faith in pain is a now but not yet reality. It's a now, but not yet reality. Look at what verse 35 says again. It says, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. When we read those stories of of those that were in this pain, we were basically reading about people who were being persecuted for their faith. The reason they were in holes and having to live in caves and they were going destitute and being sawed in two and being tortured is because they're being attacked Because they believe and they walk with God. Because of their faith. And it says they were tortured. That word tortured there literally means to be beaten. It means to be methodically, rhythmically, forcefully beaten. And what they would do, they would take people and stretch them out over a rack or even over a big huge drum. And they would beat their abdomen like a drum until the walls of their abdomen caved in and they died from internal bleeding. It was an agonizing way to die. But here's what's amazing to me. The writer says that these folks refused to be released. Meaning, they had the opportunity to be released. They had the opportunity to get relief from pain. Why didn't they? Why would they refuse that? Were they insane? Were they masochists? Did they just love pain? No, the writer says because they were believing for, looking for a better resurrection. In other words, they understood that the pain that they were going through, even though very painful... And they didn't like it and it hurt. They knew that was temporary. And their faith outcome in God was eternal. And and that's how they were able to walk through the pain. That the pain they were in, yes, it's painful, it hurts. But it is only temporary. But the faith outcome of walking and standing with God was eternal. The cost was too great. Because to get out from under their pain would mean they would have to refuse God. They would have to denounce God. They would have to deny Him. 
And they were not going to do that because the eternal reward of faith in pain for them was greater than the temporary relief from pain. It didn't mean they went around looking for pain. It didn't mean they went, oh, go ahead and hurt me because if you hurt me, that shows I have great faith. No, 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 no. That wasn't it. But they knew this was a temporary thing. You see, it says they didn't receive the promise. You know, what drove these people's faith was they had this promise of a coming Messiah who was going to bring the eternal kingdom of God. That's what shaped their faith. That's what they were going towards. You and I here today, we are moving towards that same thing. But we have a greater taste of that promise. We have a greater experience of that promise because we know who the Messiah is. And here's what we know. That Messiah came into the now of our pain. It came and he came into the now of our pain and he's tasted our pain. He knows our pain. He's felt our pain. But even more than that, he holds us in the midst of our pain. He comforts us in the midst of our pain and he leads us through our pain to the not yet paradise that awaits us as the outcome of our faith. See, those that the writer of Hebrews are talking about, they didn't even have that. They just knew, hey, there's some kind of Messiah coming from God. He's bringing the kingdom. We have a greater understanding. But they even understood the now of the pain. The now of the pain is not worth the refusal of God. You know, the pain that you and I walk in, it, it, it's seldom the result of persecution. It's seldom the result of being attacked for our faith. Thank God for that. The pain you and I mostly encounter is the pain of this fallen world. The pain of, of sickness and disease. The pain of losing a loved one to death. The pain of, of dealing with tragedy that comes in our lives, which is the result of the fallout of the sin of this world. It's the pain of broken homes. It's the pain of, stress, of, of stress-filled relationships. It's, it's the pain of the tragedies of, of tornadoes and floods and, and those types of things. That's primarily the pain you and I have to deal with. In my experience, both as a follower of Christ and as a, as a minister and a pastor for 30 years plus, I have seen so many folks who have claimed that, yes, I know God, claimed that they walk with Him. Yet, when, when God doesn't provide the miracle that they were believing for, that God doesn't seem to act in the now of their pain in the way that they want, I've seen so many of them just give up on Him and walk away from Him. and Just say, he, he can't exist or I don't want to have anything to do with Him. Can I tell you that in the places of pain, that is not the time to run from God. That is the time to run to God. Because He is right there in the midst of it. When I was a kid growing up, my dad taught my brother and I how to swim. And uh, once we kind of learned how to stay on top of the water and we didn't sink like a rock. Once we kind of learned that. What he would do is he would have us jump off the diving board to him. And he'd be standing about the middle of the pool or three quarters of the way in the deep end. Have us jump to him and say, swim to me. And you know what he did when we began to swim? Anybody know what he did when, I began, when we began to swim to him? Anybody know? Backed up. Yeah, your parents did it to you too. Huh? those dirty rats. Yeah. He'd begin to back up and make us swim more. And you'd, it, you could feel the pain. Your arms would get tired and your legs would get tired and you would feel the pain and he's backing up. But here's the deal. My dad wasn't sitting outside the pool in some lounge chair and some 
bathrobe drinking a pina colada saying, hey, swim and get to the other side of the pool. No, he was smack dab in the middle of the pool, getting wet just like I was. And he had his hands just inches away from me. So if we did get tired or I did cramp up, he would grab me and not let me sink. I want to tell you, we have a Messiah who is coming to our world in the name and the person of Jesus Christ. And he's with us in our pain. He knows our pain. He's walking with us with our pain. And he'll see us through our pain into the not yet of the paradise. He has a waiting for you and I. That's the outcome of our faith. So now, but not yet reality. The second observation I would share about faith and pain is that faith in pain sees pain as purposeful in God's hands. Sees pain as purposeful in God's hands. The writer of Hebrews says that they were expecting a better, greater resurrection. Now, Directly, that simply means that paradise is going to be awesome. That, that just the paradise itself is going to be phenomenal. And we will encounter the not yet of faith either when Christ returns or by our death if we walk with Jesus Christ. But the implication also is this, that when paradise comes to us, either by death or by the coming of Christ, that we can enter into the paradise the best us possible. That I can enter into my time of paradise with the highest quality of Christ's character in me. I can have the highest quality of God, godliness in me. I can have the highest quality of Christ-centeredness in me this side of heaven. When I go into my, the time of paradise, whether that be by death or by the coming of Jesus Christ. And God uses pain as one of the tools To bring that about in our lives. To purposely bring out this character of Christ in each and every one of us. It's a part of what He does. He uses the pain of a fallen world to bring out the best in you and I. Pain is not wasted on you and I in the hands of God. And the writers of uh, of the New Testament understood this. Paul especially. Here's a place in 2 Corinthians 4 where the Apostle Paul's writing. He's just listed A lot of the stuff, pain that he's been going through. And then he writes this in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 16. He says, therefore, say therefore. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. God uses the outward decay. How many of you know you're outwardly decaying? Yeah, because the older you get, the less mirrors you have in your house. Anybody notice that? Or the less you look at mirrors because you're outwardly decaying. However, God uses the outward decay to renew inwardly. To do something in the eternal. Look at verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles. How did he describe our troubles? Come on, say it out loud. Light and momentary. Temporary, he's saying. Light and momentary troubles are doing what? Achieving. Say achieving. Achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God is using the temporalness of the pain that's in our lives. He's using it to give us a greater glory experience. He is building it up for us to encounter in in, in our time of paradise. He's bringing a greater glory experience through our pain. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Not on the now, but the not yet. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. James the half-brother of Jesus Christ. 
he writes in his letter something similar. Verses 2 through 4 of James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't like James very much. You like James very much? Consider it pure joy? Are you kidding me? I think, I think James liked pain. I really, really do. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be sure not lacking anything. Pain is not wasted on God's people in the hands of God. He uses it in our lives to bring a greater, greater glory experience and to bring forth the fullness of the character of Christ within each one of our lives. Listen, pain is not all bad. In fact, pain is basically amoral. It hurts, but it's not all bad. Pain can be a good thing. Anybody ever go to the chiropractor? Who goes to the chiropractor? Oh man, I go. And I want to hear the loudest crack in my back possible. And it, man, does it not hurt so good? Inflict more pain. It hurts so good. How many of you like deep tissue massages? Oh man, the greater the pain, the better. It hurts so good. How many of you have ever, ever purposefully inflicted pain upon somebody you deeply love for a purposeful and positive outcome? Raise your hand. If you're a parent worth your salt, you've done it. Those little rugrats that look like us, unfortunately act like us too much. We inflict pain. On them. That we say we would die for. Because we love them so much. It's not a pain to abuse them. It's not a pain to destroy them. It's the right amount of pain to deter them from what? Continuing in behavior or whatever. That will bring pain that will devastate and destroy their lives. Listen. If we didn't have pain in the world. We wouldn't know there was evil in the world. Pain lets us know something's wrong. Pain lets us know something is amiss. Pain lets us know there's something evil at work and drives us from the evil towards the good of God. Pain, God allowing pain in a fallen world where evil exists is one of His great gifts and graces. Because if it weren't for the pain, we wouldn't know something was amiss in this world. And for the followers of Christ in this room, if everybody had the opportunity to share their story, I would bet everything I have that most, if not all the stories, we would say some type of pain drove us to Christ. C.S. Lewis I love this quote. He says this. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain in God's hands is always purposeful. I love that God... So good that he would even use the pain of our sin and the fallenness of a sin in this world 
to work on our behalf. See, faith in pain is a now but not yet reality. It sees pain as purposeful in God's hands. And the final observation I would share with you is that faith in pain is a team sport. Faith in pain is a team sport because we're, we're all in this thing together. In fact, look what the writer of Hebrews writes in verse 39. He says, these, these folks, the ones that had the miracles, but the ones that had to maintain without the miracles. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. As, as I just said, they had not received what had been promised. And that was this coming Messiah who was going to bring the eternal kingdom. They had not received that. Yet they continued to move forward to, towards that. They hadn't received it. We've received a greater portion of that than they have. They hadn't received it. But now look what it says in verse 40. God had planned something better for us. Say better for us. God had planned something better for us that on, so that only together with us, with they, the Old Testament folks, be made perfect, be made complete, be made whole. In other words, he, he's saying that their faith of these Old Testament folks, they were, they were looking for this Messiah who was bringing this kingdom. It's what shaped and molded and motivated their faith. And they were looking for that and they never received that promise. They received glimpses of the promise. See, miracles are the inbreaking. They're glimpses of this amazing kingdom that's coming. And they, some of them experienced that. But they were, they, were, they were incomplete in their faith because he had not come yet and it had not fully happened. But now you and I, we have a greater portion. We know who the Messiah is and we know what he's done and we know that his kingdom is coming. But just like them... We are still moving towards and motivated by and shaped by this coming king that's going to bring the kingdom of God. We just have a greater understanding and a greater portion of it. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that the community called the church, our faith walk journey towards a coming king who's bringing the kingdom of God completes the faith of the Old Testament saints who were looking for a coming king to bring the kingdom. Our faith completes and perfects their faith. But guess what? Our faith is complete and perfected by their faith. Because we wouldn't even know about a king. We wouldn't know about a kingdom of God. We wouldn't know about a savior. We wouldn't know about Jesus Christ were it not for the faith stories of the Old Testament folks. Does this make sense what I'm saying to you? We're a community. Our faith walk completes their faith walk. Their faith walk completes ours. We wouldn't even know without them. We're a community. We need each other's faith story. We need the faith stories of the miracles. And we need the faith stories of maintaining without the miracles. We need each other to build up one another. To build up our faith. We are a community going through this together. Listen. Pain is not a scorecard of faith. Hear that again. Pain is not a scorecard of faith. Folks walking in great pain does not mean they have little faith. And people walking in a little bit of pain does not mean they have great faith. That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us. And how many times as a community, as a church body, we've so judged one another, we've so criticized and looked down. Oh, if they had more faith, if they just would stand on the word more, if they just would have more scriptures written on their mirrors, oh, they wouldn't be going in so much pain. Hogwash! Ryder just said they were all commended. I need to know 
the miracle stories, but I also need to know the maintaining stories without the miracles. We come in here together as a community, followers of Christ. And we come in and we worship. I wonder if any of us even recall some of the worship songs we just sang here this morning. Some of the worship songs we sang were were just what we're talking about. It was about declaring the coming of the kingdom. It was about declaring the not yet that we're looking for. At the same time, we were praising God that He's in the now of our pain. We were talking about how God is great and we were worshiping. That's what builds up our faith together in community. Looking to this great God who brings miracles, but also a great God who brings maintaining faith even when we don't get the miracles. We come in and we pray for one another and we encourage one another. We need one another as a community. We form and shape and help to complete one another's faith walks. That's why we are unapologetic here at Mount Perry North Canton Campus, Meredith Campus, about what we call life groups, coming together in smaller group experiences because we need one another's faith stories. We complete it as a community. I'm going to invite the the band to come up. I I had a different closing story than what I'm about to share with you. Planned. But as I was sitting down here during worship, and the band began to sing chorus in the presence of Jehovah. In fact, Justin, that's the chorus I want you guys to have prepared if you don't mind. I know you have something else. How many of you, that's an old school chorus, my son makes fun of me because I love that chorus. In fact, he told me when I walked in, he says, Dad, this is just for you. I'm going to sing this chorus this morning. But how many of you remember that old, old chorus? As we began to sing it, here's what struck me. That chorus is over 30 years old. And that chorus was big at the time that my brother was killed in an automobile accident. Some of you know my story, some of you don't. December, November 29th, 1980. My brother, 24 years old, I was 21 at the time. Kid on a head-on collision, hit by somebody driving down I-20 on the wrong side. My brother was headed east, excuse, yeah, headed east. The driver was headed west, but he, west, but he was on the eastbound lane. Hit my brother head-on, he was killed instantly. December the 2nd, 1980, 33 years ago, we had his funeral. This was a tragedy in my family's life. The the funeral was down at Mount Perrin Central, which is located on Mount Perrin Road, Northside Parkway, downtown Atlanta. The choir was there singing. Funeral was over. We started the recessional out the back of the sanctuary. It was my brother in the casket. She was being led out. And then it was my mom and dad right behind him. And then it was me. As we began to go out, the choir began to sing a song that said, Keep on praising him. Keep on praising him. The words go, Keep on praising him when you feel there is no way. Praise him in the cold, darkened night. Because to praise him in the darkness brings the light and as we were walking up that aisle that song just reverberating throughout the entire sanctuary my mother 
walking behind the dead body of her firstborn son lifted her hands in worship to God out of the pain she was feeling. I'll never forget that as a 21-year-old kid, the impact it had on my life. Three or four months later, I was speaking at some Mount Perrin event. When that event was over, an elderly man came up to me. He said, Mark, you don't know me. He said, I attended Mount Perrin off and on. He said, I didn't know if a God existed or not, to be honest. He said, I heard about the death of your brother. And I came to his funeral service. He said, I, I was cynical. I was skeptical. And if such a tragedy could happen to such a family like yours, I knew there was no God. I came with that attitude, but I came out of respect for you and your family. He said, but Mark, when I saw your mother raise her hands in worship to God as she walked out of that sanctuary, he said, God touched me. And I knew there had to be a God if she could do such a thing. And he said, I stand here as a changed man because I saw the worship out of your mother. See, our worship in pain, our standing with God in pain together, it's community, it's what builds faith, it's what encourages us to walk on and to run. We were never designed to walk alone. We're designed to walk in community. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes if you would, please. Father, in the next few moments, I invite your presence to just do what you need to do. Give us hearts and faith to open to you right now. Give us hearts and faith to open to you right now. Pray that for the person who's in the greatest amount of pain, whatever that might be, to the person who's in the least amount of pain. Our head bowed and our eyes closed. I don't know what kind of pain you might be walking in. Maybe it's the pain of illness, sickness. Maybe it's the pain of a broken home or the pain of something. And you want prayer today. You want prayer from this community. I'm going to invite you to do in just a moment. If you want prayer, I'm going to invite you to stand. And then as a community, we're just going to gather those close to you and just pray with you. But you're here. You need miracle. And you need maintaining faith to walk through. But you want prayer here today. I'm going to ask you to simply stand where you are right now. And we're going to pray with you. Just stand right up. Nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be worst embarrassed about at all. Just stand where you are right now. You need prayer. Whatever kind of pain, whatever you find yourself, just stand where you are. I got these lights in my eyes. I really can't tell who's, who or what is standing. That's irrelevant. Now, if you're seated, you're a follower of Christ. Would you just look around real quick, see somebody standing near where you are. And I want you to move to them right now. And just put a hand on them grab a shoulder, whatever it may be. We're going to believe as community of faith here today.
Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I pray for every person who has stood. I pray for those right now, whatever kind of pain they find themselves in. Physical, emotional, psychological, relational, financial, whatever combination of all those or some of those. You are the God who is with us now. You are the God who knows our pain. You are the God who comforts us in the time of pain. You are the God that's seeing us through the pain. You are the God that's holding on to us in the midst of the pain. You are the God taking us to the not yet. The paradise you have planned for us. Father, I pray that whatever ways you need to use this pain in all of our lives, let it be so for your glory and our great good, God. Father, I pray right now that we are a community of believers one with the other in Jesus' name. That we see that we all are in this together. God, I'm praying for miracles to take place, Father. I'm praying, God, for supernatural to happen. Because nothing is too difficult for you. God, we believe the presence of the King is here to do that work. Encourage us. Strengthen us. Empower us. Deliver us. May we be who we need to be and you want us to be. Through the midst and into the deliverance that you have for us. For one purpose, your praise, your glory, and your honor. In Jesus' name. Can we all stand together right now and can we just sing this chorus? Make it our declaration of faith. Justin, lead us.